and welcome to another episode of Hot Takes, the Story Screen Presents podcast, where we go see a movie, and then we, you know, we don't, we don't talk, we don't zip, we don't talk about it at all. We we we, we tell each other to shut up, and we don't talk about it. And we come back, jump in front of the mic, and we save all those little spi- spicy, spicy, ooh, that's hot uh, opinions for each other, and the microphone, and for you uh, on Hot Takes. Uh, I am not Robert Anderson, uh, if you couldn't tell. Um, I know that my impression was really, really spot on there. I am Mike Burge. I am going to be guest hosting this very special episode of Hot Takes, along with uh, another special guest host, Bernadette Gorman-White. Hello. We're, we're taking over Hot Takes for a little bit. Robbie is um, pursuing a career in stand-up comedy in L.A., and Jack is over this whole Marvel thing um, f- for now. Uh, who knows? What I don't know. You know, Hard Eternals just Eternals really just look like a really big Jack energy. I don't know. We'll see. I don't uh, know. And I've also I, I think that Doctor Strange is Jack's favorite Marvel character, which I'm completely just making up. But I think that that's a very funny thing and it might be true. So it's kind of a win win. The possible maybe he is Doctor Strange, maybe he's not Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange. Sure. Very true. Yeah. What if? Um, what if? What if? So uh, for some context for uh, y'all listening out there, this is now officially the third time we have tried to record this. We have bumped Ooh. into some technical issues over the past 25 hours that uh, are kind of sending me the vibe that the universe doesn't, the universe just isn't ready for our takes our hot takes on Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, but we're going to push through. Yeah, get ready, world. We're doing this hot yeah. take. We're doing this. This will be the third time we've recorded many of the same bits that I think we've kind of perfected at this point. Like, you know, They're this evolving. is... Yeah, this is going to be the best episode of hot takes that's ever happened. Um, guest hosts not being the reason for that, just because it's, you know, it's just we've, 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 we've timed it out. We've, we've, we've staged it. Set it. It's good to go. Yeah. Yeah. This okay. Is, we're, we're ramping up to the best one ever. Yes. So <laughs> we are here to talk about the latest MCU big screen movie drop, um, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. We are recording this on uh, September 6th, Monday, Labor Day, uh, the Monday after the film was released. Um, I saw this early on Wednesday. And, Vern, you saw it Friday night? Correct, yes. Yes. So, I saw Alone in a theater doing the soundtrack, which was a Dang. lot of fun. Um, and I imagine that you saw it at Friday night at uh, the Story Screen Beacon Theater. I would imagine that that was a pretty loaded screening. Yeah, I think there were probably uh, in between 50 and 60 people in there. So so almost sold out for our little guy. Almost sold out. And I'm really glad I was, uh, we'll get into this later when we get into like spoilers and plots. But uh, Mm. I was sitting next to a family, uh, a father was to my right, and then his child was to the right of him. And so I got to hear a lot of like fun little things the the child was saying. He was probably around like eight, I would I would hazard a guess mm-hmm. um i was really happy that i saw it with the crowd that i did the people were really loving the movie yeah, yeah that's like the that's the thing with going to see movies at the movie theater it's like you have to kind of take the weird negative stuff with the amazing positive stuff but the positive mm-hmm. stuff always outweighs the negative and 
you know, if everybody followed the rules and was respectful, there would pretty much be no negatives. Right. You know, and that's like what we do at the theater is to try and just remove all the possibilities of those negative things as much as we can without, you know, messing, without creating new negatives ourselves. And right. that's, I like, like I, I went and saw Candyman opening night on like a loaded theater. Um, and that was fantastic. You know, even though uh, Jack and Jeremy Kalajewski, who, oh, who, you know, were very into the movie. Um, I don't know. They just didn't seem like they were while we were watching it. But I digress. It's neither here nor there. They everybody watches movies differently. So you had your and own father and child scenario next I, to you. I had during my Candyman. own like right to the right of me too. And you know they would. It was interesting to get to hear the things that they would say to each other. <laughs> um, during a ninety-one minute movie. Uh. But uh, so Shang-Chi by myself with like a box of pizza and a coffee. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, you know, as as everybody may or may not know on Hot Takes, the first couple like conversations are going to be very uh, completely spoiler free. And then we'll take a break real quick and come back and um, we'll dig into like the more specifics and everybody, um, you know, we'll tell you who dies, that that, that classic bit. Mm-hmm. Um, classic story screen podcast bit uh but for right up front like burn like what did you what did you think of shang chi and the legend of the ten rings like what is uh what's your how's your how you feeling how you vibing on the state of the marvel cinematic universe right now um i really liked it when it comes to i'm not saying this is a trilogy but when it comes to trilogies i typically like the first one usually most of the time because i really like I mean, origin story, that gets tossed around so often and frequently when talking about the MCU. But I love movies that give you really, like, the groundwork. And I thought Shang-Chi did a great job because I knew next to nothing about this character. I think, like, a lot of moviegoers, if you aren't into the comics, you're not going to be really tracking who this character is. Um, But, yeah, I thought it was told really well. I enjoyed the way they divulged the plot in the story i thought it was paced and unfolded in a really special way that they haven't done with a marvel movie in the past um i think the acting was great obviously the stunt choreography uh was awesome and the fight choreography was great yeah i just think it looked great sounded great acted wonderfully uh just an enjoyable film i think they really nailed it with this one overall how about yourself uh, I agree with everything you just said. That's actually, that's going to be kind of boring because that's exactly <laughs> my take on it is uh, I think that it's, I think that it looks cool. It's done extremely well. I think it's got a little bit more heart to it than um, most Marvel fair, even though Marvel's very good at injecting some heart into there to like make you kind of connect with these characters and stuff like that. I think a unique thing about this movie is... Um, uh, first off, Simu Liu is insane. Uh, is a who plays Shang Chi or Sean? <laughs> uh, is a instant, immediate, just like I felt like an immediate, like charismatic connection where I was like, I care about this dude. I like this dude. I'm into finding out more about this dude. I hope this dude doesn't get hurt. And it was almost like immediate. And it's the same thing with like. Tony Long, who plays the film's villain, like this is one of the best MCU villains. 
uh, that has ever been. And I think one of the main reasons for that is that like, this is like, this is like Killmonger level stuff because it's, it's it, the, the, the villain is not only intimidating, he's also relatable. It's mm-hmm. you, you can see why he's doing what he's doing. And that's, I think something that just comes from the fact that Tony Long is an institution and he's an absolutely fantastic actor. And it's one of those things where, when someone really famous steps into an MCU movie, like when Robert Redford was cast in Captain America Winter Soldier, you're like, all right, he's clocking in, he's doing the work, he's he's having fun with these movies. Right. But Tony Long is such, it, he doesn't ever seem like he's above it. He kind of yeah. actually seems like he's having a lot of fun with it. And I think that that's kind of the same thing that happened with um, Michael B. Jordan in Black Panther, where it was like Michael B. Jordan at that point was a very well-established actor uh, he was kicking ass all over the place, but it yeah. looked like he was actually like into what he was doing and playing the villain. And Chadwick Boseman and Michael B. Jordan are both charismatic actors um, to their own degree. But I think Michael B. Jordan is just much more charismatic than Chadwick Boseman was just because of the very nature of like his career already at that time and what he was. So you were able to really connect with him. And I think the same is with Simu Liu and Tony Long. I think Simu Liu is fantastic, but he's just getting started and we're just getting introduced to him. Whereas Tony Long, if you don't even know who he is, he's been in this business for a while. He's Mm -hmm. just very good at hooking you. And I think that was like, so that's, you know, more or less specifically all like the little things that I liked about it are like, it just seemed like they really took their time with this one. They wanted to get it just right, which felt like the same thing that they did with stuff like Black Panther or even Guardians of the Galaxy, where they were like, this is a big moment. We have to really pay attention to like little things that we do here. Cause if this doesn't work, you know, we're screwed. Like we need to make this work right out the gate. And the movie's funny it's action packed. It looks cool. It's got amazing music. Everybody in it is super hot. Um, <laughs> and it's just a fun time. It's one of those. I'm very happy that it, Disney Plus didn't push it out onto Disney Plus yes. and stuff, or rather, Disney didn't do that. You know, even though I understand where they're coming from and doing that, and that, you know, the 45 day windows have been reenacted by most studios. So it's. It's a movie that you want to see on a big screen, but I do understand still that some people are nervous about doing that and don't want to feel pressured to go do it and don't want to feel left out, especially with something like a Marvel movie, which can be filled with spoilers and stuff like, you know, the next day on Twitter. Yeah, that's Uh, true. This is a movie, though, that is just like even the smaller scenes that take place in like, you know, a kitchen in San Francisco are just like they just look awesome. Yeah, and I feel like they're paying a lot of respect to different cultures, which is really nice to see. I just felt like even like what you were saying with Tony Loon uh, coming into the film and just, like you said, having a really great time doesn't seem above it. But overall, I feel like he just respected the role. He treated it like any other role, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just he's he looks great. Um. He's, he's, he's a, he's a, you know, he's a bad daddy, but he's a good daddy. You know what I mean? Like he, he's, he's a trying good his daddy. best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a good, he's a good, like zaddy a little bit, but he's a bad dad. Bad dad. Uh, and you know, like that's also too, like, you know, I love that shit. And bad so dad. does Marvel, which is nice because uh, I get a lot of daddy issues. Um, 
I, I and and Shang Chi was good to watch because I recently watched the Fifty Shades uh, trilogy. You I thought there'd be way more daddy there, issues. I thought there'd be way more daddy issues in that thing. Barely. I think at the beginning of the second one, you get kind of like a brief daddy issue thing. I was kind of let down. But there's a Chronicles of Riddick poster in the second one, so I was kind of freaking out about that for about a week. But uh, I feel like this one kind of gave this movie where Fifty Shades didn't fulfill, fulfill your daddy my daddy needs. issues. This one, you know, they were just like, what if daddy issues but $250 million blockbuster? I was like, yes, please. <laughs> yes, more. <laughs> you were talking earlier about uh, people might not be comfortable going out to see uh, a movie where it's very popular and the theaters are mostly packed. But yeah, I'm hoping uh, this coming week, you know, Wednesday through Sunday, if you're in the Beacon area, if you want to come to a earlier screening, like a four o'clock, say, I, w- I would hazard a guess that you'd be pretty okay. I don't think those screenings are going to be as hopping as the yeah. evening screenings. But yeah, I'm excited that people are coming out to this movie. I mean, yeah, we did very well. I'm looking at the numbers right now from over the weekend. It's like the best we've it's, done since we've been back, I feel. I mean, it is. It's 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 up there with like, you know, cuz it's 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 a it's a roller coaster ride in the very sense of everything, not the movie itself, just like the release of movies and everything. And it's like, yes, you're going uphill and then there's downhills and all of these twists and turns and loops, but the main thing is that the more time that passes and the more people that get vaccinated and the more used to um this kind of new you know, not post pandemic because it's not over, but no. like this kind of new stage of it where we need to be not as hesitant as we were before, but still just as um, cognizant of what's going on and our responsibility towards one another. And as we all get used to that, people are accepting to go out a little bit more. And at the same time, movies are being released again, like bigger and bigger and bigger. And not being released on like streaming platforms. Like before this, it was Black Widow and F9 were like the big ones. And and those did okay. But it's people are getting used to, they're like, you know, they'll ask us if like, is this going to be on HBO Max? Like movies that we're showing right now at the theater. They're (laughs) like, when is this on HBO Max? And I have to explain to them like, well, no, that's Warner Brothers movies. Because Warner Brothers, you know, is owned by like Time Warner and, and they own HBO Max, so they have a deal with them. They're like, I don't understand. Shut up. When is when is Black yes. Widow going to be on HBO Max? I'm like, well, no, that's Disney. So that's available on Disney Plus. And they're like, what about Candyman? I was like, well, that's Universal. Um, they don't have like a streaming platform. They're like, no, no, no. HBO Max. Is it going to be on that? And I'm like, I'm <laughs> trying to explain you. <laughs> to you. It's like a studio thing. It's it's very different. You're but not that's, listening it is, to me. Yeah, so I feel like a lot of people just kept waiting for F9 to be released on like HBO Max or something without realizing that it was on a 45-day window thing, which I think now it is available. And I feel like, so it's a combination of those three things. People are expecting things to just be dropped on streamers now. They're still a little bit nervous about going out, and there's not movies that are worth going out right now anyway. And all three of those things are steadily changing in unison together which is all kind of le- has been leading up to this moment with like kind of Candyman into Shang-Chi, which is going to also rail pretty much right into um, you know, like No Time to Die at yeah. the beginning of October. Uh, and then, you know, Eternals is right after that. Spider-Man, Dune, uh, 
Last night and in Zoho, and, and then yeah, you've yeah. got your smaller your smaller fair, which is still going to be absolutely fa- like your your medium sized fair, where you, like your Edgar Wright, your Wes Andersons, all that stuff, and then you've got your smaller guys like Small Engine Repair and Blue Bayou, like these kind of movies that are getting really good buzz mm-hmm. on like the indie circuit. I'm so excited about Small Engine Repair. Have you seen the trailer for that thing yet? I just poked my head in theater three the other day to make sure everything oh. was running smoothly, and I was like, "Hello, what is this?" Yes. What is this That's going one of my on? favorite trailers, too, because it's two minutes and 24 seconds. And at the exact minute 12 mark, halfway through the movie, it completely changes gears, no pun mm-hmm. intended, uh, and like kind of reveals what it actually is. And it's just like, it was very hard to make a one minute clip for Instagram for oh, that I trailer. Bet. Because I was like, I love this whole thing. And it's like literally killing darlings left and right. Yeah, I was really interested that uh, Lena Dunham has a pull quote in that trailer. I just thought it was cool. Isn't, yeah, I've, isn't I was that wild. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're just like, listen, this is what we're doing. This is the movie. Come see it if you like. Yeah, it looks really um, good. Speaking of indie movies and Shang Chi, uh, this movie is directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, who some of you may or may not know as the director of Short Term Twelve, the movie that birthed. Uh, three Academy Award nominee slash winners out of nowhere when they are little babies, one of which appears in this movie. Uh, Brie Larson, Lakeith Stanfield, and Rami Malek all pretty much started out in Short Term 12. If not, that's where they really blew up and kind of went on to everybody's scene. Uh, Short Term 12 is not like Shang-Chi. <laughs> they are not similar movies. Um I was really interested in seeing what this was going to be because this was kind of the first one where I was like, okay, so the director of Short Term 12 and the director of Little Woods and the director of like Nomadland and The Rider are going to be making Marvel movies now. What is this going to look like? And, you know, because Chloe's out. Nomadland, the writer is doing the Eternals mm-hmm. and Nia DaCosta, who just did Candyman, but did Little Woods before is doing the Marvels next year. Um, I was interested to see what it is because there's there's this myth that goes around about Marvel movies uh, kind of being directed by committee much more than other movies. And that's kind of true in the sense that that's how all blockbusters are done. Sure. Where like there's a myth about one director went in and they had told them that don't worry about the action scenes. We'll take care of those. And it's like, well, I think in that anecdote, what they're saying is that because the action scenes require a lot of pre-vis, they have pre-vis directors whose jobs it is to be able to visualize those things, but they take the director's style in. And I think that's never more apparent than in this movie where you have action scenes that don't require a lot of CGI Buffoonery. There's a lot of green screen and blue screen kind of stuff to fill in the gaps and make it look epic. But for sure. the most part, a lot of things are practical yes. and they're taking place within scenes that have dialogue and are obviously being directed by the same person that's been directing everything else. I think as you get later on into the movie, which we won't get too specific on, yeah, things do explode get, yeah, in a get way. Get a little that- magical. They get a little intense, but like, again, those things are so much fun because I feel like by the end, by that point, you're just like, I'm having a blast with this thing. So I don't care if you guys go crazy, go loop, go loop de loop on the roller coaster. Now I'll have fun. Yeah. The movie really earns that at the end of the film. 
where you're watching it the whole time and you're really being blown away by like the actual martial arts that's taking place in the film and the way it's being treated. And then towards the end of the film, you're like, oh, yeah, you've earned this. This is good. I like this. That's yeah, and that, that that's like what I was thinking the whole time. I was like, that's good. I like this. Like every like 15 minutes or so something would happen. I'd be enjoying myself the whole time. And then every 15 minutes or so, so something would happen that would just make me go like, that's good. I'm enjoying this. This is yes. <laughs> that's nice. That's nice. Um, so we like it. Uh, did you want to get anything else uh out before we break into Spoiler Town? Um, really, the only thing else that I would say, I'm not a big review reader, especially prior to the film. Um, I usually like to form my own opinions, obviously. But if you are reading that this movie is long, yes, this movie is long. And I think it does feel long, but not in a bad way. I think it feels long in the sense that you're aware that it's a little over two hours for running time. But I feel it's very earned and I feel it's very engaging. So if the long running time is kind of deterring you, I would say maybe give it the benefit of the doubt and still go see it anyway. Yeah. I mean, it, our classic, or I should say my classic take on like long movies and stuff is like two hours is regular. Right. That is the regular amount. 90 minutes is short. Two and a half hours is on the longer side. And right. You can call it long if you want. But I'm also, especially when you're going to see something in a movie theater, or you're paying money for Don't you want it to be as long as like what? Get your money's worth. Yeah. It was just like that roller coaster was really a lot of fun. But like, I feel like they could have shaved five minutes off. I'm like, dude. You paid for it. You, you paid waited, for it. Like, you waited in line for it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, there's obvious things where it's like, you know, if it starts coming in structurally and stuff like that, where you're like, oh, it didn't need to be that long, that kind of thing. But you can't know that unless you've seen it. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you're saying like, ugh, it's two and a half hours, I don't know. It's like, well, then it sounds like you don't want to see the movie. Maybe you shouldn't see the movie. If right. you don't want, like, if it's too long, you don't have to see the movie. You can, you cannot see the movie. Unless you're like me, where you're just like, I have to watch. I can't it. I have not. To watch. I finally like went to watch Space Jam: A New Legacy the other day, and I realized that it had already left HBO. I missed my window. Oh, I missed the window too. Then, but I'm not really that uh, sad about it. I mean, I am. I was like, I was goofballing it up. I was like, ready to just like, all right, let's watch this little thing, and it wasn't there. So I watched Godzilla vs Kong instead, okay. which I enjoyed. You finally Fun. saw it. I finally watched it. They fight. Yeah. The big boys. It's kind of their thing. It's their thing. That's what they do. It's what they signed up for. They signed a contract. They fight. Um, yeah, I would highly recommend this movie to, uh, if a two hour long movie dissuades you, don't go see it because it is a two hour movie, you know, so it sounds like you might not like it because <laughs> it's too long. But it's uh, great. But it goes by very quick. Like like you're saying, I agree. Like I think it goes by very quickly. I think that in the moments where you might notice that it's dragging a little bit. It's purposefully taking some time to catch a breath because when the movie does get running, like it doesn't stop for a bit and it runs very fast Mm -hmm. and asks you to keep up. And then it just needs to breathe a little bit and chill. Um, And there's some great performances and characters in there that we'll talk about in just a moment after this quick break. Mm -hmm. And we'll be back and we will tell you who dies. Mm Welcome back. 
So, mm-hmm. Wong is in this movie quite a bit. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Um, I am very, very happy that his character has kind of become the like the the Coulson. Mm-hmm. Like the Agent Coulson of like this kind of thing, like where he's like he's the one that kind of just keeps popping up, yeah, in like all the different chapters and everything, and kind of like links them together. Um, and I think it's the cast in this the cast in this goddamn thing is out of control. So it's like I, I don't think it's a surprise that uh, I don't think it's a surprise to anybody that Michelle Yao is mm-hmm. is in this. Uh, she's she's featured prominently in. The trailer, I forgot that she was in it until she shows up because she doesn't show up until very late in the movie. And I was yeah. just like, oh, did I think that I saw Michelle Yao in the trailer? And it was just another character. I, I, I could have sworn that I saw Michelle Yao, but I guess she's not in it. And then she eventually does show up and I was like, oh, OK, good. But uh, it is really intense because it's like the movie's already firing on all cylinders as far as talent involved. Like, even just from, like, little bit characters and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, and also Michelle, yeah. And you're like, oh, right, okay. So, uh... Well, yeah, because Michelle Yao plays uh, Ying Nan, who is the sister of the mother. And you really kind of don't know, because they're trying to get into this realm, this world, that their mother had left... Talo, and you really don't know how much of the movie is going to take place in Talo. So I agree with you that you get to that point and you're like, oh, good, there's more movie left because I want to be here too. Pretty much every location that they're in, you want to spend more time in, which is a good sign. Yeah, I definitely could have stayed in uh, like the big fighting arena place a little bit longer yes. before like that kind of turned into like the escape set piece that it is because I was like, this is cool. I like this. Abomination. A lot of fun seeing seeing your boy coming back. Um, I'm also a big fan of uh, all like the little tiny things in there. Like uh, at one point you see like you see like a, a black widow, like a widow fighting one of the bad guys from Iron Man three, like the uh, like the the like the glowy the glowy dudes and stuff like that. I thought that was really neat. Like where you're just like. Oh, they can start getting weird with this stuff because the world has now existed for like over a decade and you can just kind of be like, well, yeah, now they're over there and they're over here. We never said that there was no more of those. Sure. Um, Yeah, you pick and choose. Yeah, it's kind of fun. And that's this is the thing. Like, that's what comic books are, is that comic books got to a point where they can kind of they can fuck around as much as they want. In these kind of in 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 these kind of smaller outlets and stuff. Not saying that Shang Chi the movie itself is a smaller outlet, but like that moment, that scene in there, you're like, oh, you can get away with a lot of stuff. It's kind of like earlier on in Tony Stark's like laboratory and stuff. They'd be like, yeah, put Captain America's shield in there. We I don't we don't fucking care. We don't care. Yeah, do, do we'll figure it out later. You know, like they can just do all of that stuff now. And that's why comic books are so much fun. So I get how people can get a little burnt out on Marvel because it is kind of it's it's insanely successful. And I don't think that people would be as mad at it if it wasn't as successful and culturally earth changing as it is. If all of the movies were still the same, but they just didn't connect properly. And it was just more like it was just more like people who like comic books and stuff like these movies. They make enough movie to get by. They make enough movie to be made and stuff. 
I feel like people wouldn't be as um wouldn't be as burnt out on them. You can still not like these types of movies because that makes sense. Some people don't like Schindler's List. They like Avengers Endgame and some people like Schindler's List and don't like Avengers Endgame. Like that's or they don't like either of those movies and that's a that's a person that's got like really bad taste in movies, I guess, cuz one of those is a masterpiece. <laughs> um, I think you said they make they make enough movie to get by, but I think you meant money, but I think you said movie. It was very funny. <laughs> Both. Yeah. They make enough money to get by, but they also Both. make enough movie. They make enough movie. movie There's to just get enough by. movie in there. For sure. I mean, some people think it's maybe too much movie, two hours worth. It's just too much. I was just saying that for people who might be dissuaded. No, no, I'm not, no, no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying like, I think it's funny that like two hours would be, oh, that's long. I'm like, no, no, no. That's the standard. That's, that's no, I just hit my mic. Yeah. I just hit my mic with my little pointer finger. I, I did listen to a pretty interesting interview that I could agree with a lot of points um, recently. I think I talk about this a lot. I listened to WTF, the Mark Maron podcast, and he was interviewing A.O. Scott, who is a film critic. And uh, they were talking about the issues that sometimes arise from the fact that these Marvel movies have taken up so much real estate in the, the cultural landscape that is cinema right now and what you would expect to find as a blockbuster. I, I do think we've lost a lot of, this is like a personal opinion. I think we've lost a lot of just your general blockbuster. Now they're like pretty much all franchised out Marvel being like the biggest out of all of them. But I think they were talking, Marin and AO Scott were talking more about just how important it is to also realize how culturally they have shifted. What, what is film and uh, what is expected of people who possibly might want to make films, just knowing kind of what they're up against. Mm -hmm. And I just think, because I, I wouldn't say I'm burnt out on Marvel. I just don't get as excited about Marvel. I don't think I put it as like up high on the pedestal as some people do. And only for the fact that, yeah, it's like, I want there just to be room for everyone. Yeah, And I felt like with Shang-Chi... That's the perfect blend of a Marvel movie and still making room for everyone because it felt like they were making room for this film within the MCU. I just like the fact that it felt very different. Um, whereas I felt like Black Widow, unfortunately, felt very similar. It felt very like carbon copy. This is what a Marvel movie does pacing wise, story wise, character wise, that sometimes it can just kind of feel like a little like cut, copy, paste um, but with this one, it was just nice and refreshing to see kind of like a new story uh, unfold in like a really fun and interesting new way for Marvel. But maybe it's just because I don't I'm not as like locked in to the MCU as a lot of other people. I'm still, I believe, seven films behind, maybe five films behind and seeing all of them. I've been doing a lot of homework over lockdown <laughs> this past year, like really nailing in and finally watching all of these MCU films but i'm very close mm -hmm. i think by the next one by the next time another marvel movie comes out in theaters i think i'll have seen them all by that point yeah i, I mean and i'm kind of on the same level with you just maybe a little bit maybe just a little bit more leading towards the excitement angle mm -hmm. like i don't i you know as someone who you know hosted an entire series where we covered all of the marvel movies coming going up to the release of infinity war and then endgame after that I like these movies because they are um they're root beer. They're 
I don't drink them all the time. Every now and then I'm like, oh, did root beer come out with like a new flavor or something? Okay, cool. I, I, I like root beer as long as it's like root beer. I'd like, oh, space root beer. Oh, I'm into that. It's like, oh, you're going to do, uh, you know, you're going to do like uh, African, like Wakanda root beer. Sounds great. I like that. I, I'm just like, yeah, I'll, I will go, I go to the cinema to see these movies because they are their own unique thing even though they're all very similar to each other. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the McDonald's of it all. That's, you know what you're getting. It's the same here as it is over there. And it's the consistency and the reliability and the comfort of it. That's what these movies were really kind of building themselves on in phase two. They were trying to really nail down the quadrants of everything. But the reason that it's become so diabolically successful is because it it works and they've they've hit the quadrants exactly how they need to which isn't just saying like they're you know it's the big argument where it kind of comes down to the person's outlook on life uh whether they're like glass half full glass half empty pessimist optimist the kind of re- realist as they try to say like it's are they hitting these four quadrants simply because they want to be successful or are they hitting these four quadrants because they know that that is the way to make good, to make something good. Like if they make something good that is relatable to the most amount of people and is representative of the most amount of people, they know that they will make the most amount of money. So it's, it's like a critic's eye landing at what stage in that four point stage is what they think is most important. They are a business. So the money does have to happen, but also like, they can now get away with whatever they want. They don't need to make a movie that has a Asian lead in it. They don't need to make a Black Widow movie that has a female lead. They don't need to do Black Panther, but they do. And they take risks on them because they're not proven things. And because Disney is so strong and able to do this, they're able to show other companies and be like, look, you can do this. You should do this. You know, Warner Brothers stealing Wonder Woman out from underneath Disney's like, because Disney was like, we're planning on it. We're planning on it. They were dragging their feet. They shouldn't have done that. And DC just swept in there and got it real quick first and showed that it could work. These are things that Disney's been working on for years and years and years to like try and build up to it. It We shouldn't have to build up to it in that way, but a no. lot of money is spent on these things. And some people are very nervous about doing things that just haven't been done yet because people didn't want to take the risks to do them. And Disney is doing them because they have this amazing quadrant like bypass through which they can be like, look, you can kind of do anything now. You slap the Marvel logo on it. You make it kind of look like all the other ones in the same aesthetic and color grading and stuff. So people know that it's going to be the same burger and fries, but it's just going to be a different flavor. And then you just advertise the fuck out of it and you can do anything you want. You want to do Eternals? Eternals is the craziest fucking thing. I thought Guardians of the Galaxy was nuts like eight years ago. Eternals is wild that they are making a movie out of that and that Chloe Zhao of all people is directing it. It's just these movies are so easy to get excited about just in generality of what they are compared to everything else because there's nothing else like them. But the flip side of that, which I completely agree with you, is 
a lot of other things get lost. Like you're not losing your lower budget films. You're not losing your 10, $20 million guys, but you're losing like your hundred, $120 million guys, which are just like ways for people to kind of break out into something to break out of indie filmmaking and try and get on the Hollywood system and make their own personal projects with this amount of money. Cause everybody wants to spend money on Marvel, fast the and furious and franchises. Yeah. Exactly. And Human beings are, are a nostalgic race. We will always romanticize the past, which mm-hmm. is why I'm looking forward to Last Night in Soho, because it looks like that is like a film lover's version of kind of breaking down that, that kind of psychology. Yeah. 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 And it's so we're just we're always going to be looking for the things that made us happy in the past because those are tried and true. We know that that will make us happy. Trying new things is exciting and risky but it's 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 just that put on like the business level of the film industry and we're going to get through it like people keep re- relating superhero movies to westerns and you know westerns to sand uh, sword and sand kind of movies like these things come in waves of 30s it started in 2000 and one with, you know, X-Men and stuff like that. Like that's that's the stuff that kind of birthed where we're at right now. You can talk about Blade and stuff like that from before, but those weren't really the same thing. Oh, X-Men and Spider-Man. Yeah, thing. like I watched Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man last night, and I was just like, ooh, this is, they don't make them like this anymore. This is, it. this is pulp. Like the, yeah. the, the Batman movie, Tim Burton Batman movies, and even the Joel Schumacher ones, they had a pulpiness to them where they were, they were flexing that they were based on comics and Sam Raimi's Spider-Man's do that too. And to bring it all back around, I think that that's what Shang-Chi is doing. I think that Shang-Chi has all of the trappings of the quadrant risk-free, uh, pushing the envelope forward of the MCU while also this is a Kung Fu superhero movie with, we're in spoiler territory now with flying dragons and soul sucking demons like Cthulhu demons from underneath like the water and like that they're locked behind like a dragon scale like gates to hell and there's a guy who's got like a knife for a hand and stuff like there's this pulpy nature to it that would not have flied it wouldn't have flown back in phase one when they were trying to make these things a little bit more grounded they can do whatever the fuck they want now after endgame and i'm kind of into that yeah i felt like they were doing whatever they wanted prior to endgame but i think it was more of in the vein of like we've built these characters they might not have maybe i'll agree with you they might not have done like a shang chi earlier uh with a character that like no one really knows um, sure. So I guess now in this phase, they're they're interested in investing in new characters. But I do think they realize that they have quite a cushion. And now they've laid the groundwork that they know that they can kind of throw like a random character out there. And it's probably going to do okay. And luckily with this box office, the, the weekend box office for it looks very, very good for for Disney and Marvel and for people who enjoyed this film, because it means that they'll take more risks, hopefully, in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's all I want. I, 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 it will, the world will not turn out okay, but this situation will, because <laughs> it's just, cause it's just, it's just fucking movies, man. And it's, and I say that as someone who movies is pretty much my most favorite thing in the world. I love it. I love them so, 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 so much. My sweet, sweet baby movies, but it will be fine. 
it will pass. People will get bored. That's just what's going to happen. And Disney knows that. Marvel knows that. And that's why they're constantly changing the game of what they want to do. They're like, all right, now let's do TV shows. I'm like, all right, now let's introduce like a whole new wave of characters. And fuck it, while we're at it, let's be representationally minded. Like, let's let's make something that doesn't look like the first Avengers cast, which is just a bunch of white people. Like, we don't need to do that. Let's push it forward. And And... Who can we bring in? Like, we've got, you know, 50 plus years, so many years of like comic book characters to choose from. And we can choose anybody we want because it doesn't fucking matter. Like, nobody knew who Iron Man was when the first Iron Man came out. That was not a very popular character. I I think that's not. People have tried to rework it in their mind where it's like, Iron Man? No, everybody knew who Iron Man was. It was like, no, people barely knew who Captain America was. These were not Spider-Man, Wolverine, Batman, Superman level where everybody knew who they were. They've heard the name Iron Man and heard the name Captain America, but they couldn't tell you that, you know, everyone knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Clark Kent is Superman. They couldn't tell you that Tony Stark was Iron Man or that Steve Rogers was Captain America or well, how they did Iron Man movies yet? Exactly, and it's like that's because like it it jettisoned them and made them popular, and so it's like when they do this with Shang Chi, it's like well they're kind of doing the same thing they that did with Iron Man. Like Iron Man was B list, Shang Chi's B list a little bit, yeah, like maybe a little bit under Iron Man in the sense of like. You know, Iron Man was on the Avengers and all of these things and big team ups and stuff. But Shang-Chi is a character that constantly whips in and out of like every series in Marvel because he's such a unique character where he's just like, I fight really good and I have energy blasts and I'm pretty much indestructible. Uh, so let's want me to go fight somebody. And it's like, OK, cool. So and Shang-Chi is one of those characters in the comics, too. That's that's kind of why I like the big uh fighting opera scene shang chi is a big like versus character it's like you know the whole point of him guesting in is like you're gonna see wolverine fight shang chi who could win you know and it's like like the hulk versus shang chi who could win um and i think that simu lu kind of brings that kind of that kind of laid back slacker energy to this character that's kind of missing in the comics where he's more of just like you know a very kind of upstanding and just proper kind of, you know, he's still got like the goofball energy that comic book characters have, but I kind of like how they, they make him just a little bit more laid back and relatable and slackery in this movie. And then like to the point where you can understand why someone like this would be friends with Aquafina's character. Yeah. Yeah, Like you can, you can understand why they don't get annoyed by them or they care so much about them. Cause you're just like, Oh, this person's just trying to be, this person is just a really nice guy and yeah. he's, a, he's a little sweetheart. He won't pinch his little cheeks, but then he can also kick your ass. Yeah. It, I thought the slacker aspect was really well done, like you were saying. But the whole time I was watching it, it says they are building up like the timeline and they say 1996 and you see Tony Leung's character, Wen Wu, uh, starting to explore and he finds... Uh, Tao Lo, and that's when the romance begins, and they start to consider having children, and then they have Shang-Chi. And so Shang-Chi is born in 1997, which was when my youngest sister, Mary Colleen, was born. 
And obviously you're given the the framework of he left home when he was 14 and it's been 10 years since he left home. So now he's 24. And there's this one scene where he and Katie are walking down an alley and they're kind of talking about like, ah, we're not running from adulthood. But I'm like, you guys like aren't you are adults, but like you're not really adults. The whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, he's Mary Colleen's age. (laughs) So, yeah, I think the slacker aspect is really well done. And it makes sense because I feel like a lot of people, even our age, we know people in their early 30s, mid 30s, who still very much act like they're in their early 20s. Oh, our, our, so it's very to, relatable. Yeah, not to be all our generation. But our generation is fucked up, man. Like, we're oh. not going to, we're not going to get too much done. Uh, no. You know, we're here, we're here for a good time, not a long time kind of thing. So everybody else can, it's kind of all over. I don't know. Like we can try and help out, but I think it's all again, like the world is not going to be fine, but the but this state will of be. the film, the film industry will be, you know, cause it's a thing that doesn't actually matter. Anything that actually matters won't be fine. It won't work out. Right. But stuff that is minuscule and arbitrary, but fun. Those will, those will work out just fine because they have to, that's by, by the very nature, the definition of them being fun is they have to work out. Might not be as much fun for you as someone else, but you know, Shut up. Let people have fun. Um, but the whole world's going to end and we're never going to grow up. I'm 35 years old and I still feel like I'm 25 and I don't even know what that means because I haven't matured mentally. Um, yeah, I'm still I'm still a baby. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Movie and film industries and stuff. Well, we got to talk about something. Yeah, I guess that's true. Just, just look at it that way. Uh, let's talk about uh, Katie's fanny pack real quick. I'm, I'm kind of oh, vibing. Katie's just great. Her pants I are great. Like, her fanny pack's great. <laughs> her pants are great. Oh, thank you. It's good. It's a good joke. Um, I like people who wear fanny packs and have the, the courage to wear them the way that they were intended. Have you seen this fanny pack across the oh, shoulder yes. thing that's that was, been going on? That was big when I was in college. What the fuck is that? Sometimes they'll call them sling bags. And it's Absolutely like, it's just a fanny pack. Not. I am just a fanny very pack. upset about all this. I am so upset. I got I got to thinking about fanny packs a lot during this movie because it, it's it's a very bright silver. It's featured very prominently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I wonder too if it was kind of like like a robe, like a sash. Like I like the things that they're doing with these costumes. Because mm-hmm. even when they are oh, in their so like cool regular quote-unquote like american clothes like there's something that harkens back to like traditional asian attire and so i thought Mm. that was really cool like the fanny pack is kind of like a sash and even sean's like jacket kind of resembles the armor he wears later on in the movie it's got a very neat like the the costuming is great yeah, it kind of reminded me a lot of the costuming in stuff like Kill Bill, which is like yes. very heightened kind of like this character is this and represents this in the story. So they would dress like this. And, you know, it's very kind of 70s and 80s, like Kung Fu movie inspired. Um, but it also very much like and, you know, kind of diving into that because I definitely want to get to it, you know, before we run out of time is one of the best aspects of the movie is the overall theme of like of Asian 
not even just Asian American and Asian in general, but just like as this as a kind of like counterpoint of like kind of um, the relationship between father and son, um, the ancestral strain of Asian cultures and generations moving down and down. Something that I have not experienced myself, given that I am not. Mm-hmm. Um, but something I have seen uh, expressed very lovingly, both in movies and in real life by people that I know and talk to. This is something that I think is, you know, something a little bit of a uh, a stigmatism and maybe a little bit of like a stereotype, but it is something that has footing in reality and is something that is shared kind of family to family to family in this culture. And I think utilizing that in the same way that, and I hate to keep using Black Panther as as a relatable source, but it very much is this thing where you're just like, well, how do you crack this multi-million dollar thing that also is respectful and representational of a specific large culture? And it's like, you just bring real world shit into it. And Black yes. Panther blew people away because it was talking about racism and slavery and abuse and all of these like bad, like white supremacy bullshit nonsense stuff in a Marvel movie, in a superhero movie. And this movie, you know, is talking about something that is very, um, very like swept under the rug and very uh, not embarrassing, but just something that's like, you don't really talk about it too much. Like with people outside of your immediate friend group or family, it's something that's like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't talk about that. It's this. And they're putting it at the forefront of their supervillain superhero relationship in this movie and they do it so well. And I think that that's something that comes from having the dude that made Short Term 12 a very dialogue, emotion-driven drama making this, making your kung fu MCU movie. Yeah, and I think they handled that uh, trauma that you were talking about earlier with Katie as well. She makes mention that she doesn't quite really know what to do with her life because she has all of the pressure from generations before her who have tried to make sacrifices to allow her the opportunity to do whatever she wanted, but it's almost kind of like opportunity paralysis. And she makes mention that she gets kind of good at something and then she wants to try something else because there are just so many options out there. And it's so much harder now. And I think you and I can speak to this to actually find like a quote unquote career and especially one that would make, say, an ancestor or a parent or a grandparent proud. There's mm. just so much disconnect because the world moved so quickly through these past couple generations. And yeah. the way that society has violently shifted um, in the past, you know, hundred years, that it's our grandparents you know great-grandparents lived a radically different lifestyle as opposed to the lifestyle we have now and the types of issues we can see in our world and every everything that was kind of built to like create these opportunities for us has actually kind of put us in a strange place where the the quote-unquote opportunities are endless but really they're not they're they're pretty much the same except just the culture has shifted around how we perceive these opportunities. And especially mm-hmm. with the advent of social media too, it's just yeah. nothing can ever be good enough. Yeah. And there's always the someone out of, there doing something better. Right. And in and, and the example of Katie, you know, she does have like the immigrant story behind her too, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I come from generations of people who fought 
to get over here so that I can eventually be, you know, and this the is American kind of the, this is this is the millennial uh, debacle, whether you're an immigrant or not or anything like that, or, or, or your family, you come from a family of immigrants um, immediately, generationally and stuff like that. It's, you know, we all are just kind of like, we don't know what to do. There's too much to do and and everybody's so used to like getting everything now, now, now or having all of their movies be the same McDonald's burger and fries like and expected and stuff like that. And that's why something risky comes along and you like it. And, you know, that's why I still watch, you know, that's why I still watch like random dumb movies that I just like the poster and the trailer like online and I like, Oh, no one else has heard of this, but I'm going to watch this and be excited. I'll be just as excited, about I am just as excited about small engine repair as I was about Shang-Chi. Like I am like that trailer looks dope. I am into that. I cannot wait to see that. And I said those exact same things about both movies and, <laughs> okay. and it's like, I don't know which type of movie I like more and I don't know which type of movie represents my outlook more. And that's kind of the, that is just kind of like the mirroring of like the indecisiveness of what you want to do or who you want to represent and what you want to be because everything can change so quickly, even with the ad, like you're talking about with social media, it's like, you don't like what Facebook has given you? Fucking swipe up and click Twitter and check that one out. You don't like that either? Swipe up and go to Letterboxd. Then you can you can stop conversations immediately in a way that you've never been able to before. And you get to choose what you take in. And now that's getting chosen for you as well. And you don't know what to trust or who to believe. And so it's it's hard to make a decision and kind of point yourself in a direction that makes sense. And then you toss onto that the fact that, you know, you're just a laid back, groovy, fanny pack wearing dude. You're just kind of like, I feel like I'm being disrespectful to everybody, but like, I don't know what to do and I'm having an okay time. But like, am I fucking this up? Am I fucking life up? Yeah, hard to say. Those are the questions. I was going to ask you. Um, mm. Because I forget, does Ant-Man take place in San Francisco? Where does Ant-Man take place? I can't I think Ant-Man's, I, thought, I think Ant-Man's in San Diego. San Diego, okay. Which yeah. one has the Golden Gate Bridge? I don't know either. I have family in San Francisco and San Diego, and I get them confused all the time. And I'm, <laughs> it's, a, it's a Helen Hunt, Holly Hunter thing. I know that they're different people, and I, I, when I see it, I can go, that is that. But that for the love that. of God, I'm like, oh yeah, Helen Hunt and Raising Arizona is great. Fuck no, I mean Holly Hunt. Fuck. Yeah, I was I was afraid, but yeah, it's uh, San Francisco, Golden Gate Bridge. Shoo. So um, San Francisco, I think they're both in San Francisco. Okay, that's what I thought too, because I really loved. Um, I think they did a great job with this film starting out in. Well, I guess it's kind of blended. You're kind of seeing the past and present day, like pretty seamlessly blended at the beginning of the film. But I really enjoyed how long they stayed in San Francisco and you see Sean and Katie and kind of like where they've been for the past decade. And I thought that bus scene, that first opening fight sequence where he's fighting all of the Ten Rings gang members on that bus and the way Katie's driving the bus. I thought that scene was great. And it very much hearkened back to me how I felt about Ant-Man watching Ant-Man for the first time. 
Yeah, that bus scene is a is a mic drop statement. It's just like, this is what we're going to do, and this is how fucking cool it can be. You in? And by the end of that thing, you're just like, yes, I am in. And I am in. It, I'm sold. It, they just do a lot of really cool shit. They do a lot of really different, you know, this was, uh, this movie shot by Bill Pope, who is a legend, uh, most notably that makes sense with uh, Shang-Chi is that this is the dude that shot the Matrix. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of see that in a lot of these things. And it's, uh, the movie looks really good. Mm -hmm. And while the color grading and basic framing and CGI structure makes sense with MCU, makes sense with the rest of the MCU, it still looks and feels radically different enough. So it's kind of like it's having a different artist drawing on the same type of paper that comic books would be made on. It's like, no, it's the same size. It's the same panels. It's the same price. And it's the same like writers and stuff like that, even though that's not specifically true here. But it's like the same tone and energy and everything. But now Spider-Man looks completely different because we've changed artists. And it's just like it's that kind of change made it really exciting you add in kung fu and practical fighting and sets and stuff like that. And also the fact that this movie, again, is unabashedly um, goofy and nerdy and doesn't give a shit and wants to just have fun um, while also having a touching, heartwarming story. Like that all kind of coalesces in that bus scene where it's like you have like your heart, you have your reveal, you have your fights, you have your goofy razor fists and like all this crazy set pieces and CGI spectacles, but also practical effects. You're just like, yeah, I'm into this. This is fun. And then you get more and more of that throughout the whole movie. Yeah. I love when they start talking about actually going to Tallow and seeing the water maze and understanding like, oh, they're going to go into this realm and all of the hyper realism and all of the magical aspects of getting to Tallow and seeing all of those magical creatures for the first time uh, was very, very cool. And yeah, I, I think it looked great. They really knew what they were doing. Um, the, the thing that I was going to bring up earlier about the child and the father sitting next to me, one of my favorite moments in the film because of this kid talking to the father <laughs> was, you know, the scene where they hijack Razor Fist's car and they steal the keys, but not only do they steal one set of keys, they take the whole box off the wall. Later on, uh, the father is talking to his uh, Ten Rings army, and they're getting ready to go to Tallow as well. And he says, ready the vehicles. The child leaned over to the dad and was like, but she took all the keys. How are they going to ready the vehicles? Nice. <laughs> and I'm like... This child's paying attention. Mm -hmm. But I just had like a lot of cute little... I love watching films um, with children for the most part, most of the time. Because I feel like they're like clocked in on it in a way that sometimes I think adults can kind of just glaze over when they're watching a film. And they're not really paying attention to like the meat and the potatoes of the way the mm -hmm. film is made. And so I was just really happy to have sat with a child <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to watch yeah, this that's movie. Like when me and D went and saw Coco in theaters and it was like a packed theater and the, and in the chairs right in front of us were these like two or three, like, uh, like four year old to five year old, um, uh, Latino like children. 
and and uh, their dad or guardian or like an older person that was watching them. And the whole time they were just like screaming in Spanish and just like just going crazy for Coco. They could not believe it. And and the guy kept turning around and apologizing to us. And we're like, absolutely not. This is <laughs> this is cool. This is like this is like Coco 4DX. Like I am. I am like, I'm watching this movie and I'm like, this thing is going to make so many children happy. And I'm also getting to witness that right in front of me. So by all means, no, they can keep, they can keep yeah, 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 yeahing all they want. I do not give a shit. Like this is feed them more sugar. So they do more of it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 What else do you want to cover? I feel like this podcast, typically when I listen to a podcast where people are talking about something that I'm interested in. Uh-huh. And you're listening to them talk. You're like, great. They did cover that. They did cover that. They covered that too. That's awesome. I feel like this conversation has kind of gone in like a very interesting way. Um, I don't really know what else you want to cover from the film itself. I mean, I mean we're we, both very we into it. I mean, I'm very into it. It's uh, the ending fight scene like with like it's so it kind of makes you believe that they could pull off like an anime movie in the realm of like Dragon Ball Z and stuff like that, which they should not try. Don't no. try it again. Just leave it alone. Stop. But it is kind of cool that you're just like, oh, shit, have has technology gotten there where you could kind of radically pull that off and it would make sense as long as you have enough money to be able to spend on it and you put a Marvel logo in front of it and everybody will That's go. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I feel like we've kind of covered everything. And that's one of the things that's always interesting that I always like talking about Marvel movies because it's, they're always so much bigger than themselves because they're cultural moments. You know, this is, this is a cultural moment in the making right now, the likes of something like, uh, like Black Panther, whereas like Black Panther just, railed through for weeks and weeks and weeks and was just murdering the box office because people just kept going to see it again and again and again. And this is something that we're seeing right now, again, that's happening with like one of the biggest Labor Day weekend openers of all time, regardless of the fact that we're still in a pandemic. Right. Like that's insane. And it's like we're getting, it's an interesting conversation to have as, you know, Movies like Small Engine Repair and John and the Hole and Demonic are not going to save movie theaters right now. Unfortunately, that's just not how it's going to happen. Movies like Candyman and Shang-Chi and Halloween Kills and No Time to Die and Dune, they're going to be the ones that get people to go back out and buy popcorn and candy and buy tickets and keep movie theaters going so that they can still continue to show more artistic, independent, lower budget fare, which is what our theater is all about is like big blockbusters, art house, older movies, fun horror movies and stuff and comedies and stuff like that. If they would ever just make comedies again, I'd love to show a comedy, a new comedy at the theater, but they just don't like making them. I know. I guess Together Together was the last like comedy. Comedy. Yeah. You know, and I was like downhill. We played right before we shut down like previously. And that was like so weird because I was just like a comedy. A comedy. Huh. Huh. You never see these these days. Yeah. Um, but that's and that's why I like talking about Marvel movies as a whole, because it's much more beyond what just the movie is. There's always a bigger conversation to have, whether it's how this impacts the MCU world itself, how this impacts the film industry, how this impacts audience interaction. And in this case, it's all of those things and also a really fun movie to talk about because it's fucking cool. And I, I want to go watch it again. And I probably will immediately because... It's fun, and I want to have fun again. Yeah. 
Marvel also did that very clever thing. Like, I'm sure some people are patting themselves on the back for having the Ben Kingsley character, Trevor Slattery, oh, come yes, back in. Course. And so they're kind of like, oh, yeah, we did a terrible thing having him play the Mandarin. Let's get him back in here and kind of make amends for that. Let's atone. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> I'm on the different fence of that where I think the Trevor Slattery... I, I, Iron Man 3 is one of my favorite Marvel movies. And I think that that turn all makes sense. I think that... Mm-hmm. I think that people got mad because Mandarin is this great character. Well, I do not agree with this, but they okay. they claim that the Mandarin is this insanely amazing supervillain who I guess so. He's cool. He's I wouldn't say he's like any cooler than like Venom. I don't know. Right. Venom's kind of stupid, but like I like watching a movie with him and he looks cool. It's just like uh, I, I think people just overreacted a little bit to it because they didn't like being tricked because Iron Man 3's marketing material was very much trying to rib off of Heath Ledger's Joker and Ben hiring Ben Kingsley. You'll never see me like all of that stuff. And they were trying to play into that to make it so that when you saw the movie, it was much more of a slap in the face because you wanted it. They wanted it to be like a slap in the face. Like, Oh my God, what's going on now? Sure. But people felt, people felt betrayed and they got mad. Yes. And I like that they've course corrected. Have you ever seen the short um, All Hail the King? No, I about? haven't. You should check it out. It's on Disney Plus and it's like it's like eight minutes long. Um, and it's a nice quick short uh, with Ben Kingsley and Scoot McNeary is in it. Fun. Um, and it's all about him being in prison afterwards and how the Ten Rings finds him and the revelation that the Mandarin actually is a real person but was not like called that and stuff like that. And this movie kind of like fixes that together. You know, they, they do not call Shang-Chi's father Fu Manchu, which is nice. It's good. <laughs> it's good. I thank you I, for not doing I, that. I approve and, and thank you. Um, yes. And like, they don't call him Mandarin and they even like go so far as to be like named him after a chicken dish and all that stuff. Like they, they have fun with the, as much fun as one can have with the more uncultured history of the comic book characters yes. while also addressing the more recent mistakes that they've made where they were like, well, Guy Pierce is an asshole. He's a bad guy. Like he would come up with this name and blah, 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 and all these things in it. And he would like, he would culturally appropriate this terrorist stuff to be able to get control and everything because he's a bad guy but it's like the same argument where you're like well that character can say the f word and the r word because they're a bad guy you're not supposed to like them it's like like can we just maybe not use those words though can you come up with different ways for me to not like them like uh, i don't know smart ways that don't require (laughs) like reminding everybody yeah about like slurs and stuff so i get where they're coming from and they are course correcting and i think that's super responsible and i think that that's a very nice thing to do that again they don't have to they're they're choosing to because they want everybody to like them yeah i'll have to check out all hail the king because that's probably one of my favorite things that i really liked about shang chi was that the way it was revealing the story as the story went along I liked that there were so many moments where they would be telling you, you'd be watching, essentially, you know, the the golden rule, show, don't tell. You'd be shown a lot of things, but then you would get the flashback to the key moment in Shang-Chi's childhood that influenced this movement or this action or this reaction. 
I really liked that the story would go back and forth between the past and present day, very much so in the way you hear uh, a fantasy tale or something about deep, deep lore. I liked how it went back and forth. It felt very much like you were being told a story rather than watching a story unfold, because in the title, it even called, it's even called The Legend of the Ten Rings. So I yeah. like that you're learning about this legend kind of in real time as the movie unfolds. I thought it was really clever. And I liked how the repetition kind of worked as like story beats. It felt like you were almost like listening to music, but very uh, much in the sense of like the way the story was being told. It kind of felt like a beating of a drum, the mm. way they would go back to a previous scene from the children's lifetimes when their mother was still alive i liked how you got those little nuggets just interwoven yeah. into the story as a whole i thought it was very clever and i don't know if any other marvel movie has done quite that i know guardians of the galaxy every once in a while you would get like a flashback to peter quill when he was younger mm -hmm. but i don't feel like it was done in the same way as like a rhythm i'd be interested to like watch the movie again and like do time stamps of like when they're going back to a previous scene like watching like Shang-Chi train when he's 14 or when he's seven, when he begins his training and then watching things with the sister as well. I think it'd be interesting to maybe just like see just how well paced the film is because it felt extremely well paced watching it. No, I agree. I, and I think that's one of the, it's the momentum that we were talking about earlier with the bus scene where it's just like, it also with Talao where like you need to kind of calm down and breathe for a little bit. Like that also mm -hmm. is pacing, knowing when to pump the brakes, slam on the brakes, step on the gas, change gears, turn around. Like you know hard how right, to drive. Right. You, you need yeah, you need <laughs> to know how to drive this thing. And um the direction, the cinematography, the music, the acting, it's a good movie. It's good. It's good. It's very it's good. good. It's a good movie. I don't th I haven't met anybody that didn't like it yet, which is like fun for a Marvel movie because that just usually doesn't happen. No, that never happens. Yeah. Even when like, you know, walking out of Black Widow and I'm like, you know, I am just like the most like lukewarm tea on Black Widow. I was just like, yeah, I liked it. Sure. What? It's okay. It's fine. What? But I would talk to people and they'd be like, absolutely fucking not and i'd be like oh geez i mean i don't know if it was that bad but like all right and they're like absolutely not and i'm like oh fuck all right didn't like black widow gotcha cool you didn't even like you didn't like taskmaster like that's kind of cool shit that's fun all right no never mind no okay good good uh but i feel like i haven't really i haven't really heard that many negative things about Shang-Chi. I mean, I haven't really d dived into the letterbox yet. I did my review on there. I try not to, if I know that I'm doing an article or if I'm doing a podcast, I'll try not to mess around too much. I'll write my thing so that I can kind of have a foundation on there that I can keep kind of thinking about and stuff. But I try to avoid like you reading reviews, especially from letterbox, which is, you know, normal people uh, with a couple film critics on there, but like kind of just gauging how people go and, um, for the most part, I've just been seeing just a lot of like reviews online and articles and stuff that are just like, um, good news, everybody. It's a good movie and you're going to like it. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> good news, everyone. They made a good film. It's a good one. Yeah. 
I mean, that's what's nice, too, about, you know, Candyman and Shang-Chi coming out so close to one another. Candyman is another movie that's just like, you know, it's uh, more of a moderate budget, but it's a legacy sequel and it's making a bunch of money right now. And it's also a good movie. And that's nice. That's That's nice nice that that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I came into Shang-Chi after watching a few nights prior, Annette. I finally watched Annette. Oh, how was it? And I liked Annette. Uh-oh. But Annette is a challenging film, and I'm still thinking about it, and I'm like, is it empirically good? I ah. think yes, but also it's very strange. Mm-hmm. And I liked going to see Shang-Chi and just being like, oh yes, that's a good movie. Yes. I can say it is good, and I can articulate why it's yes. good. Like, <laughs> Annette, is, Annette is like an 18-ingredient cocktail that is preserved and uses weird bitters that has to be drank a certain way. It still tastes good, but you're like, it's so complex. Like, Shang-Chi is kung fu root beer. You're like, I like root beer. I like kung fu. Yeah. Let me drink this. Oh, it's fun. Goes down easy. Yeah. Ooh, it's got some spice in there that I can think about, but not too bad. Not too much. Ah. <laughs> uh, you know what I watched the night before watching Shang-Chi that that just reminded me of uh, The Paper Tigers. Oh, I have uh, watched that. On Netflix. Really good uh, gung-fu movie. Mm -hmm. Um, It's fantastic. I had a really fun time uh, watching the movie. I want to pinch its little cutesy cheeksies. This movie is very, very adorable. Um, Highly recommend, too, because it's like a nice... It's both a good appetizer before watching Shang-Chi and it's also a good, like, kind of dessert afterwards like which way you kind of do it it's like it's much smaller uh gung fu oriented and has a lot to say about like like ancestral legacy and stuff like that as well very similar movies just completely different genres and tones well you included that movie trailer prior to the film uh Mm. 36 chambers of Shaolin. Shaolin, yeah. It's a good fucking movie. And it just made me want to watch Shaolin soccer. That was like all I was thinking oh, of about course, yeah. for the first 10 minutes and, of the film. And dude, Shang-Chi's got a Kung Fu Hustle poster on his wall. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, he had a, a lot of great like little fun nods in his yeah. garage they, they, apartment. They nailed the little slacker stuff, yeah. Absolutely. Like, of course he would like these things and remember them fondly and it kind of also makes you sad because it's like all you realize he he is on the run but he does miss his former life to a certain degree it really made the character so much more complex it was Mm -hmm. it was nice they didn't have to do that yeah it's a good movie highly recommend yes um i think that's all we got to say about that uh very excited for shang chi 2 in a couple years when it comes out very excited to see him uh be incorporated into other stories and stuff like that and get to, you know, it's, it's phase one all over again. We're like, I can't wait for all these people to meet each other. I like that Aquafina is holding on as like an equal, maybe not yes. in the entire sense of like, you know, it's not Shang-Chi and the legend of Aquafina or Katie, but it's like, it is, it is cool that it's like Wong's like both of you, let's go. It's, yes. it's both of you, both of you. And I kind of dig that, that the movie Aquafina's character, Katie, who is like, who is specifically kind of down on herself and not very um, confident in herself to be able to do so. She, you know, she's got ego and everything, which is funny, but like, I kind of like how 
after everything they've been through, she kind of doesn't question that. Like, she's just like, oh, we're going? Oh, okay, let's go. Like, she's not like, wait, me? <laughs> Why me? Like, she's not doing that bullshit. It, I kind of like that they're not doing that and that they're in this together and that they're still letting Shang-Chi be goofy with the karaoke and everything like that at the end, which I think is a very important part of Marvel is that all of these people have good attitudes and you genuinely like them. And they're not just like brooding, you know, you can have some brooding people and have brooding moments and stuff, but it's, it's, it's the Whedon effect that kind of happened in phase one and phase two, where Joss Whedon's big secret is make everybody quippy, make everybody funny, make everybody hot and people will care about them. So then when they get sad, as long as the actor is good at doing that, they're going to care more about it. And that's how Joss Whedon was able to make such amazing TV in genre works like sci-fi and horror and spy thrillers and stuff like that, because he was able to kind of quadrant that aspect of performance and character where it's like every, you don't need a comic relief. Everybody can be funny. You just need to know when to bounce off of each other. And that's why, that's why the first Avengers movie is the best one of all of these, I think, and remains to this day. Cause it's just like, you can't stop that fucking movie. You start it. And you're just like, Oh, that's right. This movie is just two hours of just like epic tone balance and good to go-ness. And Shang-Chi is kind of the closest I have felt to that in a long time because it's not as huge as Infinity War and Endgame, but it's also, it's also huge in its own ways, you know, but it's like, it's fun and it's individualistic and it's like balanced perfectly. Interesting. Yeah. I think I, I disagree with you about Mm. Avengers and just that level of like, saying everyone can be funny, everyone can be this, everyone can be that. I kind of call that, like, the Family Guy effect, like the Peter Mm -hmm. Griffin effect. I think Family Guy started to really fail when it didn't matter which character was saying the joke. It kind of felt like they were just writing a bunch of jokes and it didn't matter if it was Quagmire saying it or if it was Brian saying it or if it was Peter or Lois. And I kind of felt like the show, at a certain point, kind of came down with this like flavor fatigue of like it's just a lot of the same stuff just everyone can say it anyone can say it it doesn't matter it kind of like to me some of the characters kind of blend together and because of that and i think they lack distinction sometimes especially in the big set pieces like the avengers movies um where they're all together or say you know like the uh Captain America movies where they're all together when really it should just be called like another Avengers movie. Those mm. types of moments. Uh, sometimes I find that a little a little too much. So I think that's why a movie like Shang-Chi where like Katie is very distinctive and I felt like Shang-Chi was also funny but like in a very like subtle subtle way. And you kind of have like the the Trevor Slattery character kind of doing his own thing. Of course he's of course he's gonna be funny, but it's just because that's kind of what the character calls. But I felt like they did a really good job. Like that I agree with you that the tonal balance is there. And I think it's there in Avengers as well. I just think it's less exciting in Avengers. Sure. I think they they nail it more in, in a story like this where you do have characters who are just they're not humorless, but they are a little bit more serious. And it doesn't feel like every person has to say a joke. Um, yeah. 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 And my memory, too, of Avengers is kind of um, forever anchored to, you know, I saw that in 2012 when it came out, when it was being led up to this entire thing in this gigantic theater, where it's like, that was a moment. It's like, yeah. it's like Titanic. It's like, this was a moment in film culture where it's like, are they going to be able to pull this off? 
and they fucking did. And you're just For like, sure. ah! <laughs> so that always, every time I watch it, like I'm always just brought back to like, now we've seen dozens of movies like these, whether they're Marvel movies or not. But when that movie first came out, nothing had ever been made like that. It was like the right. closest thing was something like, like Van Helsing or like X-Men <laughs> 2. But like those were done on varying degrees of what they were trying to do. This was just like, we have all the money in the world and all the talent in the world and we will fucking destroy what this movie can be. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> you Loved did it. it. You did it, guys. But um, Bernadette, thank you so much for joining me. I'm talking about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Thank you for having me. And dear listeners, thank you so much for listening. Uh, remember, this is not the only podcast on Story Screen Presents. Story Screen Presents is home to a multitude of other podcasts and shows that you can listen to, such as Overdrinkers, Cathode Raycast, and you can also sign up for exclusive content and check out the Colette stuff, which me and Bernadette host, and 8Bits, which me and uh, L.A. Bob host. Um, and yeah, we, we do, we do video games over there. The Colette stuff. We talk about Tony Colette. If you couldn't have guessed, uh, you can sign up for that for $5 a month at storyscreenbeacon.com, where you will also find a murderer's row of reviews and articles and think pieces, um, from a varying, uh, array of a rogues gallery, if you will, of friends and family, uh, within the story screen unit. Um, we've got a lot out there. Uh, go check it out. You can also follow us on social media, Instagram at story underscore screen underscore beacon and at Twitter at story underscore screen. Um, I have been Mike Burge. Uh, you can find me not posting on Twitter at all. So don't even worry about it. But I am on Letterboxd where I like to have a lot of social media fun uh, at Mike Burge. B-U-R-D-G-E. And Bernadette, anything that you wish to plug or put in there at the end here? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, so I started a Twitter account a long, long time ago, prior to marriage. Um, so my Twitter, I never wanted to change it. I'm still trying to cultivate those followers. My Twitter mm. is at B Gorman, B as in B Arthur, so B-E-A, and then G-O-R-M-A-N, at B Gorman. Yeah, feel free to follow me there. Uh, post a lot of stuff about Drag Race, Venture Brothers, and... Uh, Every once in a while, I'll get really into like a Marvel thing. Very into Loki. So very into WandaVision. So post about that kind of stuff, too. Yeah. And if you like hearing uh, stuff about talking about that Marvel, uh, we've got a Loki cathode breakcast episode. We do. That, that Bernadette uh, hosted. Um, we've got a WandaVision video on mm -hmm. YouTube that L.A. Bob put together. Um and we've got a whole slew of like uh, back before Infinity War came out. And like I had mentioned, we did episodes covering all the phases, uh, individual movies and stuff that we all individually wanted to talk about. Um, we actually just released from the right stuff, which was our uh, Colette stuff precursor, Edgar Wright filmography that me and uh, Bernadette did. Uh, we released the Ant-Man episode where we kind of talked about what could have been with Edgar Wright. That was previously on our exclusive content, but every now and then we'll release some to the public so that they can see what they're missing. So that is on our uh, thing as well. If you want to hear us talk about Ant-Man and Edgar Wright and how directors kind of work within the Marvel system, we kind of touch on that a bit. Um, yeah. All content. We've got a lot of content. Go listen to it. Thank we're you so much for bees. listening. Yeah, yeah, we're busy. Busy. Busy B. Gorman. 
Busy B. Gorman. Busy B. Gorman. <laughs> All right. We'll catch you guys later. Bye. Bye.